This is your favorite podcaster, Romina, and you just tuned in to RM Podcast FL. Hello, my beautiful people, and welcome back to RM Podcast FL. This is your favorite podcaster, Romina. Hope everybody's having a tremendous day so far. Happy Tuesday, or whatever time of the day or whatever day of the week you're listening to this episode. Before we jump into the episode, you guys, I just want to give you a brief reminder to always check our articles and additional information on www.rmpodcastfl.com as well as go ahead and give us a five-star review and a short comment on um, Apple Podcast. And if you're listening from any other podcasting platforms, they do give you an option to go ahead and give a review go ahead and do so you guys. (laughs) Well today's episode is with Brian Einhorn. I'm very excited about this one you guys because if you have not connected with Brian already uh, let me tell you you definitely should. Brian Ahern, um, he is the Chief Influence Officer at the Influence People. He's also the Director of Learning with State Auto Insurance, and he is an expert when it comes to sales, customer service, leadership, business coaching, so really my kind of person. (laughs) He is, here's a cool fact, he is one out of 20 people in the world, okay? Let Let me say that one more time one out of 20 in the world, to hold CMCT certification, which that means that he has worked directly with Dr. Robert Cialdini, which is amazing. If you have not introduced yourself with Robert Cialdini, go ahead and do so too. I mean, you guys, I know I say I hope you learn at least one new thing per episode, but you're about to learn a lot of things today. What we're going to talk with Brian is, of course, about his professional career. He's going to talk to us about obstacles and things that he had to go through, as well as how did he connect with Robert Cialdini. We're going to talk about principles of persuasion. I mean, all six principles, you guys, are very important, and it's all about ethical persuasion and we're going to talk about that fine line between pressuring or manipulation and staying ethical. This episode is for everybody. I don't care if you just work only sales, customer service, whatever field you work you guys or if you just want to literally improve yourself or improve your persuasion skills on a conversation with the loved one or even on a friendship circle. Go ahead and listen to this episode. This episode is for you and without losing any more time Let's dive right into the interview, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And don't forget to share with your coworkers, with your friends, with your family, with your neighbors, with your Uber driver, with everybody. <laughs> enjoy the episode, you guys. So just like I mentioned on the bio, guys, today's guest speaker is Brian Ahern. Hi, Brian. How are you today? I am doing well. How are you doing? I am good. Thank you so much for asking. I'm very excited about this interview, and I want to thank all of my listeners out there for investing your time to RM Podcast FL today. And without losing any time, I'll pass on the mic to you, Brian, if you want to tell us a little bit about Young Youth today and how did you comment about the career that you have right now? Well, I uh, actually stumbled into what I'm doing, and by that I mean a long time ago, almost 20 years ago, somebody that I worked with gave a video of uh, Robert Cialdini presenting at Stanford. She gave it to my boss and I when I worked for the insurance company. And she said, I think you guys would really like this. And I watched the video and Robert Cialdini was talking about the psychology of persuasion, the, the triggers that make it easier for people to say yes. 
And for me, the light bulb came on and I thought, wow, this explains all of the sales training, all the sales techniques we teach people, this underlies why it works. So I started to use the video in, in training and I was very intrigued by Robert Cialdini's uh, stance on ethics. It was all about non-manipulative ways to get people to do things. Uh, it was helping with the sales training and the fact that it was based on empirical data supported by research that really appealed to me. And the way I stumbled into this beyond just the randomness of somebody giving me the video, um, because of his stance on ethics, I got a flyer from Stanford University. I signed up for their marketing because his video was so good. And for a while I was seeing these marketing flyers come across my desk. And one day one of them had his picture and it said in bold letters, call it influence, persuasion, or even manipulation. And I thought, I can't believe they use that word. I mean, he is so clear about non-manipulative ways to get people to do things and to say yes. So the ethical part of me felt like it needed to be addressed. And so I emailed Stanford and I basically said, I don't know anybody who wants to be manipulated, nor do I know anybody who wants to be known as a good manipulator. That word cannot be helping your sales, but it really could be hurting. I never heard from Stanford, but sometime later my phone rang and it was Robert Cialdini's office. And one of his representatives said, I'm calling on behalf of Dr. Cialdini to thank you for having sent that email to Stanford. Because of that email, they're changing the marketing of all of our materials. I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. And that was the start of my relationship with, with Robert Cialdini and his organization, Influence at Work. That is awesome. And I know you are one out of 20 individuals in the whole, whole world that currently have the Cialdini Method Certified Trainer. Um, is that correct? Yes, yes it is. There's, he keeps that very, very limited uh, group. He practices what he preaches. There's a scarcity aspect to that. And people tend to view things as more valuable when they're scarce. And so, yes, there's usually at any time, no more than uh, 20 or 24 people. And so also you are an expert of teaching persuasive selling and coaching. Um, now, as we, you mentioned earlier, uh, persuasive, it, it does have a, like a fine line between ethical and an you know, manipulative, like where do you find that, um, that cutoff line between being persuasive and manipulative sometimes? Well, when we talk about the difference between ethical influence and manipulation, we focus in on three things. The first is, is what we're asking somebody else, is it good for them as well as good for you? In other words, is it a win-win situation? It has to be good for that other person. If it's only good for you, uh, that's, that's never right. You're not going to feel good in interacting with somebody who is only out for themselves. The second thing that we look at is, um, are we being truthful? If you have to lie, then you're not being ethical. And the third thing that we uh, talk about is, are the principles that are being used natural to the situation? And to give an example of that, I, I mentioned the, the term scarcity a moment ago. Scarcity is when we feel this natural drive to want something when we think it's rare or going away. There's just something natural in humans that like, oh, if I can't get it, I want it more. Sometimes salespeople will use that to manipulate customers into buying. And the example that most people can relate to is if somebody comes to your home to sell you roofing, siding, gutters, anything like that, and they say, Romina, if you sign tonight, you can save 15%. But if I have to come back, you can't save that. And they want you to just feel like, I need to make a decision here and now. 
But the truth is there's nothing scarce. So they're really not using the principle in a, in a genuine or a natural way. Now, if somebody said, uh, for example, I know that in Albania we were talking about the earthquake. If somebody said because of the earthquake, building supplies are going to be in short order. They're going to be in high demand. The price is going to go up. If you sign today, you can get this price. But if you wait a week or two, I can't guarantee it. That would be natural to the situation. Does that make sense? It does absolutely make sense. And I'm glad you actually brought up that example because as somebody that works sales for forever, I actually don't use that uh, technique. Like when you say, if you don't purchase this right now, it might not be the same deal later. What I do and um, correct me, maybe this is the wrong method that I'm approaching, but for the longest time, I build their relationship with a customer and I tell them like if I've spent quality time and you know, if I invest the time with them, I say, I would love to help you out. And if you call back, you might be able to get the same deal, but I'd love to get the credit if, you know, if I was able to help you out on this. And people mm -hmm. will sign up whenever I say it and I approach it like that when I have built a relationship with them. Yes. So, so what you're tapping into there is what we call reciprocity. You've done something. You've spent time with people. Now, they may have also connected on what we call liking. So they might have said, no, I really, I really like her. And when you say what you just shared there, it reminds them, yeah, she did spend a lot of time with me. I don't want to call back and have some other salesperson get the commission. She's the one who helped me. And that's why I think it's effective when you would say that. And, and that's something that I've been using for a while. And I find it because the previous one that we mentioned, like, if you don't, if you don't go this way, like it's a 15% off, you might not get, be able to get tomorrow. I mm -hmm. find that manipulative. I find that pushy. Yes. And I think a lot of people, I mean, first of all, I'll say it works. That's why some salespeople keep doing it. If it didn't work, they would have abandoned it. Um, but a lot of people see through it too and, and will say, no, I'm not going to succumb to that kind of pressure. But there's always unsuspecting people who don't stop to think about it. And they realize in their gut, like, oh, I don't want to lose that 15%. Well, you know, we spent two hours with this salesperson. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and sign. And the truth is they might've been able to get that price anytime. That's very true. And you did tap a little bit on some of the principles of persuasion. Um, can you break those down for us? I think you mentioned like three or four of those as of right now, but can you, can you break sure. those down? Because I know that's something that you definitely spe uh, specialize on as well. Sure. Well, I like to start by talking about the principle of liking and the principle of liking simply says this, that we are more willing to say yes to people that we know and like. And so you, you recognize that, that you know, really trying to help and come to like your customers made that relationship a lot smoother. It made people more willing to buy from you. And so what we need to do is we need to really focus on how can we build relationship. And it's not so much about getting the other person to like you as it is you trying to come to like that person. And when they sense that, that where they begin to open up because we naturally believe in our heart friends do right by friends when they really start to believe that you truly like them they become far more open to whatever you may ask and the good news is you do want the best for them because as you've come to like them you would never manipulate your friends i wouldn't and most people i know would not manipulate their friends so work hard at coming to like that person and allow them to naturally like you in return that's the principle of liking 
I never thought of it like that. Like once they realize that you like them too, it's more of a more in the middle. I never thought of it like that. I always thought of having them like me. Yeah, and and that's effective, but it's not nearly as effective as coming to like them. And and the good news is the very same things that will make them like you will make you like them. What we focus on are a couple of basic things. If we can connect on what we have in common, it's very natural for people to like each other. And if you offer up genuine compliments, well, that other person feels good when you compliment them. But here's the, the key. Those things, you know, when, when I find that you and I have something in common, or if I genuinely compliment you, that whole time I'm convincing my brain that I like you. And when you begin to sense that with all of your senses, you can tell by the smile on my face, the tone of voice, the look in my eye, my body language, you can tell when somebody likes you. And when you really get that sense that, wow, Brian likes me, again, you're far more open to whatever I might ask of you. And I will only do what's right by you because I like you. And I think when we focus on that first and foremost, it really begins to remove manipulation from, from the equation of persuasion. I feel like that also kind of break down the walls that can be built between you and the other party too, because now you're friends. Oh, absolutely. Even with people who may not like you, and I've seen this work for me, where I got a sense that I don't think this person really likes me. I don't think they really want me on this project or they want me around. And so I would go out of my way to utilize the very things that I teach people because I thought to myself, if I'm going to have to spend time with this person, I don't want to spend time with someone I don't like. And I would begin to find the things that we had in common, the things that we could compliment. And as I would start to bring those into the conversation, it would always change things where that other person would then naturally start liking me because they saw I liked them and I was treating them differently than other people. Is there any like technique on questions or how do you continue the conversation to get to that point with somebody uh, with uh, somebody else? Well, I think the first thing is a mindset that, that says, I want to like the customers I serve, the people that I work with, the vendors that I interact with. I want to like them. And this may be a selfish reason, but it makes your day better and it makes you enjoy Very your true. job better. So, so acting that way though, I want to like them. And then what do you start doing? You begin to say, well, if, if connecting on what I have in common is going to cause me to like them, I need to ask them questions. I want to ask them questions about what they enjoy doing. Tell me about your family. You know, do you have pets? What sports do you enjoy watching? I want to learn those things because eventually I'm going to find things that overlap. Maybe we have the same number of kids. Maybe we have the same pet or cheer for the same team. But once that starts happening, I start to naturally like that person. So it's just about asking questions that come from a basis, I think, of curiosity and interest. I see. That's okay. That is very, very good because this way you're also, I don't want to use the word manipulate, but you're automizing your brain to, you know, you're going to start the conversation like this. You're going to like the person and it naturally happens because if you yes. tell yourself something, it becomes reality. Yes. And the more you do it, the more natural it becomes. Um, I had somebody tell me this summer, I did a presentation somewhere and they came up to me afterwards and they said, you are such a natural. And I said, I appreciate the compliment, but I'm not a natural. I work at this really hard to the point where it looks natural to you. 
no different than uh, a golfer who works continuously on his or her swing and it looks just natural like they're gifted to do that the more you begin to focus on other people and ask questions from a basis of interest and curiosity the more natural it seems where people will just say like wow you know he or she they're so nice you know they're they're always asking questions about my family and how i'm doing and and it just becomes then who you are that's so true and to touch base a little bit more on the other principles i know we mentioned scarcity a little bit mm -hmm. earlier um i want to hear your your aspect and your uh, definition for the authority like okay. uh, how do you, how do you go about that one for persuasion authority alerts us to this we are more likely to say yes to somebody that we view as extremely wise or an expert right if if you aren't feeling quite right and you talk to your friend who you know like and trust and you tell them how you're feeling and they say, boy, you know, I felt that way once. And they say, you know, what it was that they had. A, maybe they uh, had a cold or, or a virus or something. You'll give a little weight to that because they're your friend and you know them and you like them and trust them. But if you said those very same things to a doctor and that doctor said, uh, Romina, I think it's, they begin to give you a diagnosis, you will pay far more attention to that doctor because you know that he or she has been trained and they're an expert. But if you didn't know that person was a doctor, if they didn't say anything, you might think, well, you know, who are you to, to tell me? You know, I'll trust my friend more. But once you know they're an authority, you begin to trust them a lot more. And so it's really, it's very important for us to make sure that when we are interacting with people that they understand who we are and what our expertise is. Otherwise, we may be missing a great opportunity to be persuasive. So one thing that I would have to say, though, that I've noticed, at least in the work environment that I work in sales for years now, is that you're, like my title is a sales consultant, but a lot of people don't pay attention to the consultant as much, so they're losing that authority in their own mind, so they don't transmit it enough to the, to the client or to the vendor. So how can we as person, as like, let's say, if I want to gain authority, if I want to show that I have authority of whatever we're talking about. How can I transmit that? How can I do that? Well, one of the things that you can do is casually mention how long you've been doing something. Uh, then it doesn't sound like you're bragging. And so if I were to have a conversation with you and I said, you know, Ramina, I've been teaching people about influence and persuasion now for nearly 20 years. And what I really found was once I dropped that in there in a very natural way, that begins to change your thinking consciously or subconsciously. Most of our decision-making happens at the subconscious level. So I would be foolish to not at some point drop in certain markers that will alert you to the fact that I am very good at what I do or I have expertise in this area. Um, if you can get somebody to introduce you. So when you say in being in sales, if your manager has an opportunity to introduce you to a prospective customer, he or she can say things about you that might sound like you're bragging if you say them about yourself. So it's always really good whenever you can arrange for someone else to make an introduction for you. But don't leave it to chance because you don't know necessarily what your boss is gonna say. So you wanna make sure that he or she, you sit down with them and say, look, when you introduce me, Here's the two or three things that I think will be most important to influence customers to want to do business with us. 
will you make sure you say these things? And as an example, when I worked for the insurance company, my boss, who was steeped in this and went through a lot of the training that I provided and we went through training together, never failed to introduce me as one of only 20 people in the world who was certified by Robert Cialdini. And then in more recent years, because I'd done work internationally, he'd say, there's no other insurance company that has someone who has been training internationally, but we do. So I never had to say anything. And all of a sudden, those people were like, wow, that is really cool that you have somebody on staff who can do this. So that's, that's just an example of how you can have a third party introduce you to really build your credibility. That is so true though, because you get the attention right away, the, one of the only 20 people in the world internationally trained. So just those words right there, you got my full attention, even if I wasn't paying attention at the beginning. Right, so imagine if I never said that, or imagine if your, your listeners never heard that. I'm not saying that they wouldn't believe some of the things that I'm sharing, but I'm saying they will believe me more when they hear that because when very few people, and this also goes to scarcity, when very few people are doing that, you sit up straight and you're like, I should probably pay attention. There's not many other people who can give me the kind of advice that this person is now giving me. How can we as individuals though, like how can we help ourselves get that status? If like we talked, we touched base, if we can have a third party introduce us or help us on those factors, how can we as individuals get the status or show our status? Can you, if you can show us with an example. Okay, well, there's lots of things. Um, your LinkedIn profile, making sure that it comes across the way that you want to be perceived in terms of authoritative. Um, another opportunity are business cards. Now, if sometimes people say, yeah, I've got no flexibility on my business card, the company produces them, I can't change the look or anything, all right? But you wanna make sure that your title is there, your auto signature, whenever you're sending out emails, that, that should have your title, it should have any information that's gonna convey that, that you happen to be an authority. That may include designations, like you're, I know you're doing your project management, you're gonna start that. When you begin to get designations in there, you put them on your on your auto signature, you put them on your uh, your business card, because even if people don't know what those letters stand for, subconsciously it registers that, wow, this person must be pretty good at what they do. They've got credentials behind their name. And if they ask, well, what does that mean? Now you've got a platform to tell them. I see. That's really smart. Thank you for sharing that with me. Because that's that's so true though because like for example if you look uh if you look up your you online you'll see those credentials and you're just going to google those and now you're just into this search and everything goes back to you mm -hmm. and if somebody asks you about them so i've had people when i was in the insurance industry and and they knew what certain designations were but they'd look at my my business card and they'd say what what is a cmct They'd say, I, I know what a CPCU is, I know what a CMT is, but I've never heard of what is a CMCT. And that was a legitimate platform for me to say, well, it stands for Cialdini Method Certified Trainer. I was fortunate enough to be trained by the um, foremost expert in the world on the science of influence, and there's only 20 people of us who've earned the designation. That's very conversational. And all of a sudden, people are like, wow. And then they would begin to ask more questions. And the more they asked, well, now I'm talking about what I'm an expert in. And all of a sudden, they're thinking more highly of me. They're paying more attention. 
That's so true though. Thank you. Definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I want to kind of jump into the other principle of a consistency, because as we can, as we all say, in order to be successful, you should be consistent. But how does it relate with persuasion and when it comes to sales or when it comes to coaching somebody? Okay. Well, first of all, what you mentioned there is a very common misunderstanding of what consistency actually is. When you are personally consistent, you always return phone calls promptly, you answer emails, you uh, hit the deadlines, you follow through on the things you promise to do. That actually builds your authority because you become a trustworthy individual, somebody that, that your boss or that customers can turn to and rely on. When we talk about the principle of consistency though, it's always about the other person. What has the other person said in the past? What have they done? What have they committed to? Those are things that they're very likely to remain consistent about. And the way that we use that when we're trying to influence somebody is, if I can uncover what somebody values, what are their beliefs? What are the things that they hold dear? If I can line up what I'm asking with those things, it becomes easier for them to say yes. So uh, I think when we talked before, you said at one point you were in car sales. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So Volvo is known as a, a car that's um, supposedly one of the safest cars on the road. Correct. If I were selling a Volvo, one of the questions I would ask early on is how important is safety for you and your family? And if somebody says, well, it's extremely important. That then I can say, you know, one of the best reasons for buying a Volvo is we're the highest rated when it comes to safety. That becomes a huge marker for that person to probably buy that car. If somebody said, uh, I, what I value most is um, good gas mileage, you're going to want to talk about a, a car that you can sell that's got great gas mileage. It becomes easier for that person to say yes with whatever it is that they've said is important to them. So a salesperson, it's incredibly important for them to know the right questions to ask so they can uncover that and then they can align whatever it is that they're offering with that. And, and that becomes a win for the customer too because if I say safety is important, I don't want somebody selling me a car based on good gas mileage. Or if I say you know, great gas mileage is the highest priority for me, I don't want somebody pushing a car that's more expensive uh, just because it's safer. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it goes back to the hotspots, finding the hotspot for the, for the other party. And that's the points that you want to attach. Yes. And, and that's why when you, when you learn that as a sales technique, really then when you learn about consistency, you're going, oh, this is why it's so important. Because most people feel better about themselves when what they say and what they do lines up. And, and so if I ask the right questions, then it becomes very natural for them to want to say yes, because internally it feels good, but also externally it, it looks good too. And the way that we define the principle is this, human beings feel an internal psychological pressure and an external social pressure to be consistent in what they say and what they do. First and foremost, it's a driver of our behavior because we don't like to do things that make us feel bad. So if giving my word makes me feel like I need to follow through on that, there's a very good chance that I will do that. And when I give my word and other people hear that, well, I don't want to look bad in the eyes of other people. 
thank you so why thank you so much for sharing that and while you're saying that i would just start thinking about something different too because we are touching base of this principles on the working environment when it comes to coaching when it comes to selling but these principles are also very useful in our personal life too like, oh absolutely absolutely like with authority with liking with scarcity with consensus with risk uh reciprocity like all of them are very important on our personal lives too that will take you and your friendship and your friendship circle and your family to the next level yes and that's why my motto is professional success and personal happiness and i'll typically ask an audience i'll say how many of you would agree with the following statement that much of your professional success and personal happiness depends on getting other people to say yes and inevitably, every hand goes up because people know at work, if I can't get people to say yes to me, my idea approved, I don't make a sale, I may not get the next job. If I have to apply for a job, it's critical at work to be able to get people to say yes. And then they start thinking about, well, when I go home and I'm interacting with my spouse or my kids, life seems to be a lot more peaceful and happy when they more willingly say yes. And all of a sudden, everybody's bought in because they realize this skill that this guy's teaching me is going to be a 24-7, 365 skill that I can use across the board at work and at home. That is very true, absolutely, because you can, all those six principles would help you take you to the next level and will help you in every direction of your life. Yep, because no, understanding how people think and behave is critical to being able to get people to say yes and do what they need to do. And you said behave, so that actually goes really along with my next question. One thing that I think it's very important is nonverbal communication, such as body language. Uh, how do you like? How much do you think body language can hurt or can help um, a persuasion moment, or it can, or a negotiation moment, or a coaching moment, or even our personal life? Like, how much do you think how body language is important on those moments? Body language is huge, but there's a misnomer out there. Um, and you may have heard people in seminars or podcasts, or maybe you've read it in a book, and you'll hear people say, 55% um, of your communication is body language, 38% is tone of voice, and only 7% are the words you use. Have you ever heard that? Yes, I have. Okay. It's, on, it's in a lot of books. A lot yeah. of college books. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a misapplication of the research of a man named Dr. Albert Morabian. Dr. Morabian was studying when people think that the person's actions and tone of voice are incongruent with their message, then they default and they believe much more what they're seeing and, and what in terms of the body language and the, and the tone of voice. Right? So two people can say the very same thing. And the person who you get that sense that they're lying because they're fidgeting and their tone of voice, they're using the very same words. That's where you would say, I don't believe what you're saying because your body and your tone of voice are, are betraying how I think you really feel about this. When somebody's words and message and everything is congruent, it's not that only 7% of the words impact how people will, what the people will ultimately take away from that communication. I don't know what the percentage is because I don't know that he actually studied that part, but it is, it is completely false for people to try to push this narrative that 
only 7% of the words that you use are actually communicate are the actual communication that happens. It's really only when, when your words and deeds aren't lining up when your message is incongruent. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I have to say I'm loving this conversation right now. And Brian, you, you've done so much on your career as well. Um, I'm going to drop some cool facts that I actually found out about you, which I think is really awesome. Okay. And then I have a question. <laughs> All right. So I, you were, for 2016, you were top 100 influencers uh, selected by Science of Digital Marketing, which that's awesome. Your blog has followers from over 200 countries. Mm-hmm. You were top 30 psychology blogs of 2012, according to the Online Psychology Degree Guide, which that's amazing. For all my LinkedIn people out there, Brian also has a LinkedIn learning courses that apply to influence in sales and coaching. And his courses have been viewed by more than 75,000 people so far, as well as uh, you are uh, authorized for in LinkedIn, the course of persuasive uh, selling for the small big yes. I think that all of that is really awesome. And what I found even more amazing is with uh, Robert, uh, Robert Jaldini said for you, Mm -hmm. And it says, when Brian speaks, people listen. This is so because he knows his material thoroughly and he knows how to present it super blind. The upshot is that the genuine insight that he provides are not just immediately understandable. They're just immediately actionable and profitable. Now, I want to ask you, Brian, you've you've done so much you've helped so many people get to the next level. I myself have learned a lot just in this conversation. Where does all this passion of helping others come from? Like what, what motivates you? What, like what gives you power and fire and sight to reach out and to help more and more people? I found through this, I found a way that excites me that I can be, that I can genuinely help people. Now there's, there's, so many ways that that we can help one another but sometimes you realize that somebody's passion for you know walking to raise money for a certain thing it just you, you know that it's good but but it's not like something that sets your heart on fire and says like gosh this is what i want to do mm-hmm. but i love studying about this i love writing about it I, I love in particular being in front of an audience and sharing this and and i think that people catch that passion but what really drives it then is knowing that they can have that professional success and, and personal happiness. And I will give one example that um, about three years ago, I was in St. Louis and I was working with an insurance agency. And at the end of our two-day workshop, we have a half a day where people can really dig into real situations they have. And so I, I sat down with the agency owner, his two sons and his daughter. It was a family-owned business. And they were talking about a struggle they were having with getting somebody in the city of St. Louis to um, negotiate with them about moving their building into the city. I mean, they wanted mm-hmm. to move into the city. Um, and this lady was on the uh, like historic preservation committee and they were just kind of getting into a pissing match over where's the door gonna be in the building? How high is the fence gonna be in the parking lot? Why do you even need a fence? And very trivial things. And after I listened to this for a while, I said, you know, it sounds to me like you want the same thing. You want a building that your employees and your customers will be proud of. 
your employees will want to come to work. When customers have to come, they're, they're like, wow, this is a beautiful building. And the city wants the same thing. They want a building that people who live in the city will look at and go, wow, that's, that's awesome. So you want the same thing. And, and so I gave them some advice as, as we were consulting. And a few days later, they went into their negotiation. And one of the sons pulled out almost verbatim what I said. He said it got to a really tense part of the negotiation. And he said to the, to the woman, I think we both want the same thing here. And he basically said what I just shared with you and your listeners. And she looked at him and said, thank you. I've never drawn a line in the sand that I wasn't willing to erase and cross. I appreciate your willingness to work with me. And they got the deal done. Now, why that made me feel so good is I know now that this family who I really, in, in the week that I was in St. Louis, really came to know and, and really enjoy, for the next 20 or 25 years, their kids and maybe their grandkids will end up working there. And they're going to have customers who for decades go there. And I feel like I had a big hand in that. And that's an awesome feeling to know that you have helped the course of something as big as a, a family business for decades. That's amazing. And I, and I paid attention to what you told them. And I love how you started with, it sounds like to me, you all want what you, you all want the same thing. Mm -hmm. That's such a, a great way to even start the sentence when you want to make the other, let the other party know that you understand them or you're summarizing what they say. Because mm -hmm. if you start with, it sounds like, or it, it, it looks like to me, you got their attention because you're yeah. just summarizing their, their idea, their hundred ideas in three sentences. And I think we have a lot better opportunity to negotiate a deal that's acceptable for both sides. If we start with what we have in common, where we are overlapping and we try to build from there. But too often people start from these points of difference. Oh, you know, never let them see you sweat, play it close to the vest, don't show your hand, all of these things. And it, it creates an atmosphere of distrust. And even if you negotiate something, then a lot of times each side is thinking, oh, maybe I could have got something better. Or I wonder what they didn't tell me. And rather than, look, I'm going to put my cards on the table here. Or, or simply to ask this question, Romina, what would it take for you to look like a superstar at the end of this negotiation? And if you said, well, you know, and you, you shared some things with me and, and then I would say, can I share with you what would make my boss happy and what would make me look good for my company? And I put that on the table and then I can say, it looks like we have some real places of overlap here, some significant places. Let's talk about these first and see if we can build from there. That sets a whole different tone to the negotiation versus what most people do. Most people, when they think of negotiations, they think of argue, argument. Mm -hmm. And they think of you're fighting who's right, who's wrong. Right. But that's such a, a bad perception of, of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because you're always wondering, what are they, are they really telling me everything? And, and if you can, if you can uh, again, I didn't just throw on the table what I needed. I gave you the respect by saying, what do you need? What will make you come across like a superstar? And then, you know, and now if you tell me some things that are totally outrageous, I might say, you know what, I, I really respect that. But there's no way I'd be able to, to help with that. That just wouldn't be in the cards. I can tell you what, what I need. We can try to talk about that. But I'm going to then be very honest. Because the truth is, not everybody is a potential customer. And it's okay if you, if you cut bait quickly. You don't waste their time. You don't waste your time. They can go find a place where maybe they can get the right deal. And I can work with somebody who I can give a good deal to. 
That is so true. It's okay sometimes to, it's law of averages at the end of the day too. Yeah. Because you have early adopters, mid adopters, late adopters. You definitely don't want to spend a lot of time with late adopters because they're just going to be wasting time and not going to get you anywhere. You want to focus on the mid adopters because that's most of the people. Yeah, there's, there's, the market is huge. You know, it's just a matter of, can you find the right people? Because uh, whether you have the, you, you may have the best product in the world, but it might be so expensive, some people can't afford it. You may have the lowest price. There might be some people who say, I, I would never buy that. I need more value out of something. But there's almost always a market and it's a matter of, can I find that market? And can I ask the right questions and convey my value proposition to that market? Now, uh, talking a little bit about, about the market before we do jump to the last two questions, I do, I did think of a question too earlier too, that I wanted to ask you since you were the top 100 influencers for the 2016 sense of digital marketing. Um, as we know, we live in the technology day and age and everybody pretty much has a computer on their hand. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like people nowadays are even, are more early adopters when it comes to a new product being out there but they have so much information thrown their way that they like they're overloaded. So how can a company like build their marketing and use the persuasive mechanism to have the client go their direction and kind of ignore the other ones around it? Okay. I don't know if I'm making the questions question clear. Yeah. It's, it's a great question. And it reminds me of a, a quote that I often use. Uh, there was a man named William C. Taylor who wrote an article called permission marketing for the magazine Fast Company. And he said in that article, this year the average consumer will see or hear a million marketing messages. That's about 3,000 a day. And when I share that with an audience and I'll ask people, have, you, have any of you ever heard that? And, and now almost no hands ever go up. And I'll say it doesn't surprise me because that quote was from 1998. Over 20 years ago, it was estimated that you were being bombarded with a million marketing messages every year, 3,000 a day. Some of these uh, estimates are now around 5,000. So even at 3,000, the problem of overload that you just described was happening more than 20 years ago. It's happening even more now, but I don't know that my brain can really tell the difference between three and 5,000. So to, the, to your question, and how do you cut through that? The vast majority of our decision-making happens at the subconscious level. It's the, the various uh, books and, and things that I've read put the number anywhere from 85 to 95%. So let's just split the difference, Ramina, and say 90%. Nine out of every 10 things you think and or do are being driven by your non-conscious. That means those thousands of marketing messages that, you're, that are hitting you every single day really aren't registering at the conscious level. But the principles that we teach, the principles of influence, register primarily at the subconscious level. So by thoughtfully, ethically, and strategically weaving them into your offerings, your marketing, your sales communication, all of those things, that's what starts making it easier for people to say yes to you. And it doesn't have to be that 100% of people are saying yes. If you're a salesperson and your close ratio is 50%, but you could move it to 60%, not by working longer hours, 
but mm -hmm. by just thoughtfully incorporating this psychology, which is proven to get people to say yes, that's a huge win. If you could go from 50 to 60% close ratio, that could be tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars for that salesperson. Scale that to a bigger audience, you know, with, with large corporations, it could be millions no, of dollars yeah. if they do it the right way. That's so true. Thank, thank you so much. That's so true though, because if you just push it just a little bit more, um, yeah, absolutely. It, does, it doesn't even make a you know, big difference just for the sales agent, but you multiply with that with like 500, 600 sales agents that the company would have. It's just a whole different picture. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Brian, this conversation has been phenomenal and I know you have a lot of knowledge. You're rich on knowledge. Where can people find you if they want to have a conversation, if they want to be a part of your workshops or even somebody if they want to hire another family member, you know, just like the St. Louis one, be a successful story. Again, where can they get a hold of you? Okay. The two primary places would be uh, first my website, which is influencepeople.biz. And if people go to my website, uh, there's a section where they can fill out something to contact me. Uh, my phone number is there too. Um, there's all kinds of resources available. I've been blogging for more than 10 years every single week. There's videos. There's all kinds of information there if people are intrigued by what we've talked about and they want to continue to learn. The other avenue is LinkedIn. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Uh, I accept requests from everybody, even when people don't put in a reason for why they're reaching out. Because what I learned a long time ago, if I didn't accept somebody just because they didn't put a reason in, what I'm finding, I usually will send a note back and say, hey, thanks for reaching out to connect. How did you find me? Mm -hmm. Almost every time, it's people who say, I just took your course on LinkedIn. And, they're, and obviously, they're happy about it. That's why they're reaching out. So if anybody listening to this reaches out on me, reaches out to me on LinkedIn and you don't put in a message about, hey, I heard you on the podcast, uh, expect that I will send a note back to you and ask you, because I think it's really important for us to understand where that traffic is coming from. But once we're connected on LinkedIn, then you're going to see, you know, multiple times a day where I'm posting or commenting on things, posting my blog, if I'm on podcasts, making sure that my uh, connections get an opportunity to listen to the podcast. So those would be the two ways that people will really be able to get more of what I'm talking about here and also be connected to me. Awesome. And do you want to, is there any exciting in your projects that you're working on currently that you'd like to share with us? Um, everything that I'm really doing right now, I'm not doing open workshops at this point. Uh, what I do is I work primarily through corporations so, you know, if somebody is listening and they've got a sales team, I would love to talk to them about not just training. My, my ideal client isn't just, you know, go in and do a two-day workshop for, you know, 15, 20, 30 people. I really want to help make a difference in an organization. And too often, people look at training as the way to make that happen. That's the first step. But the next step is the people who are responsible, for example, for the sales team, they need to be trained in this too because they have to coach those people and hold them accountable to those behaviors. Otherwise, most learning fades away very, very quickly. Um, and so typically, if I go into an organization, I want to train the group of people. I want to work with the managers so they understand this. I want to help consult, help them see where are the opportunities to put these into their sales process, put it into the coaching process, 
do follow-up coaching. And so it really becomes a relationship, an ongoing relationship for a period of time, as opposed to just uh, come in and, and train our staff for two days and, and then we won't see you again. That's just, that just in the long run doesn't seem to work very well. But it sounds like to me, you want to get actually to the root of the issue, not even for right now, but also for long term and lay the platform for them so they can be successful in the future, too. Yes, because I think organizations that, that I ideally enjoy working with are some who say, you know what, we want this to be the foundation of what we do. We don't manage people by authority, meaning like I tell you what to do because mm -hmm. I'm the boss. We ethically influence one another. We, we think about what is it, the, the goal, what are the win-wins, how do we communicate that with people? So the principles that we've been talking about, they have to really become part of the language of the organization so that when a manager says, hey, we're going to change the sales process and we're going to start doing A, B, and C. And the reason we're going to do that is because it engages the principle of consistency and it engages the principle of reciprocity. And everybody goes, I remember learning about that. That makes sense. And then they're more enthusiastic to put them put those into play as opposed to what happens in so many organizations. A boss says, this is what we're going to do. And truthfully, a lot of the uh, people are going, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Because they don't know why it's supposed to be that way. Or there's no data to back up. Uh, like the research that I shared, there's no data to back up why they want to do it. It's mm -hmm. just somebody's cool idea that they want to implement. Oh my goodness, Brian, I would definitely have to say this conversation have been amazing and I've learned a lot of new things. And I definitely want to guide everybody your way because not even just the conversation that we have, but just the blogs and the posting and your book are just amazing information. And I feel Thank like you. everybody should definitely read it. Thank if you. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is why I do the podcast because I hope everybody learns at least one new thing per episode. And so far right now, this episode will end soon, but right now there's 40 episodes out. So if people learn 40 new things and one more new thing, I feel like it would be amazing. And people need to connect with like professionals just like yourself because you can learn so much more and then find topics that you're interested in. You had no idea you'd be intrigued into. Mm -hmm. You don't know until you yep. learn, right? <laughs> yes. And my very last question, Brian, what is your personal definition of success? I'm intrigued by this one. Well, I, I, I equate success and, and happiness kind of together. And, and in my book, I, I mentioned this. Um, I've been a big proponent of happy is the man who wants what he has. And that is uh, there are infinite wants in the world. And too often people are always looking past what they have rather than appreciating what they have. And I can give you a personal example that um, it took me a long time to figure this out. But when I was um, in college, I was a competitive powerlifter. When I got out of college, I was a competitive bodybuilder. I loved the gym. Mm -hmm. And I thought my destiny was going to be to be a gym owner. I was competing and, and I loved it. Well, I got a job and, and then I met my now wife and you know, life changes. And all of a sudden, I let go of the dream. And then it hit me several years ago that I fulfilled the dream. I have a great gym in my basement. I am a gym owner. I just, it just didn't play out the way I thought it would. But once I realized that, I was like, wow, I actually, you know, every day I can go downstairs and do something I have loved doing since I was a teenager, which is working out. And it helps me get in the right frame of mind for my day. So 
I, I just would encourage people, look at what you have and try to appreciate that. That doesn't mean that you don't want for other things. Mm -hmm. But when you just look at what you have, and, and you know, I can look at my daughter. My wife and I didn't think that we were going to be able to have kids. And by the grace of God and, and through in vitro fertilization, we ended up having our daughter. I don't look at the world and go, gosh, I wish we had five more kids. No, I say, thank God for her. And I appreciate her. And, and I think that's the definition of success. Because if you're, if you're, I think if you're trying to measure success by how much money you make or how big your house is or anything like that, you always look at somebody else and go, but they make more and they have a bigger house and they, whatever that is. But I can look at somebody and say, you know what, they have a beautiful home and I can be happy for them and I love my home and I love my wife. And uh, so I just think the definition for success is be happy with what you have. Don't be complacent. Always strive to grow and do more and be better. But that's not where you get your, that's not the definition of success for me, that I have to have more. That's interesting that you mentioned that because you show a real gratitude and a real appreciation of what you have. And I've been doing this for a couple of months now that every day I write, like I have a journal um, and I write one or two things that I'm thankful for for the day. Mm -hmm. And I could have the best day of my life or I can have the day that it was really stressed out, but try to find one or two things that you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. And it just changes your mindset and your perspective of, perspective on life by a lot. And I didn't realize it, how great it would be. Yep. But I don't, I, I used to journal and I don't do that now, but I have something that pops up on my phone every morning at 5 a.m. And it's, it just says, this is the day the Lord's made. I will be glad and rejoice in it. Today will be a good day because I will approach everything with a positive attitude and I will learn from every situation. And if, if I have a bad attitude, I can stop and go, okay, what can I learn? And then I've still gotten something out of it. I see. Oh my goodness. Well, Brian, I definitely want to thank you so, so much for taking your time today. And for all my listeners out there, this interview is happening. And right now it's like at 8 p.m. at night. And because <laughs> Brian was very kind enough to find time for me after I was done with work. So thank you. I You're really welcome. appreciate it. And any last thing that you like to add to our listeners and I'll touch, absolutely I'll attach all your information, of course, on the, on the, on the information for the podcast. Well, I just want to say thank you to you. This was, this was, it was a really enjoyable conversation. I've been on a lot of podcasts, but we went in some different angles and got into things a little differently. And so it was fun for me. It stimulates my thinking, which helps me grow. I, I hope the people who listen feel like they grow and, and kudos to you for doing it because, you know, whenever you're like the teacher, you end up learning more than everybody else as you get ready. And I think being the podcaster you will get more out of these things than, than probably anybody else, even though you put in so much time and effort. So kudos to you. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. I really appreciate that, Brian. And all, uh, and all for you, my great listeners out there, go ahead and connect with Brian on LinkedIn. I'll attach the information on the details as well as go to his website. You definitely should read his blog posts. They're amazing. And if you guys want to hear awesome and amazing episodes, make sure to tune in every Tuesday on RM Podcast FL, on major podcast platforms, or everywhere, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in.